0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Slice of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Gary Bridges, the president of the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists. We actually filmed this podcast during National CRNA Week, so happy National CRNA Week to everyone. And I ended up meeting Gary back in, I think, October timeframe, October, November-ish, at the AANA annual congress and him and I talked about what would be some interesting topics that we can bring to the table during this podcast and we we accomplished that within this podcast so a lot of the topics that we discuss uh, were uh, enhanced recovery after surgery and anesthesia his background where he started where he's at today why he wanted to be president of the AANA why the CRNA anesthesia path is something that healthcare professionals should seriously look into and consider, and how we can innovate some more in in healthcare, anesthesia, and so on. So, very excited to have him on. I, I want to thank our sponsor today, which is also our parent company. Slice of Healthcare is the media channel for Block Health, and Block Health is the smart portfolio for healthcare professionals and organizations, and is launching towards the end of quarter one so be sure to check them out www.blockhealth.com so there's no k in there and any questions feel free to reach out to the team at slice of healthcare as well and we'll be sure to point you in the right direction so without further ado let's have gary on and get the podcast started
1: all right Thank you so much
0: for joining us on the Slice of Healthcare podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Really excited. And as you and I were just discussing, it, it seems very fitting that we're recording this podcast during National CRNA Week, which is, yeah. which is great. Exciting. I, I like uh, what I've seen too from the ANA as far as promoting this week and the different social handles and the materials that, that you guys have put together over there. Uh, really great. And I think that's a, a good way for everyone to get involved and really be a part of this process of national CRNA week. So
1: that's right. Trying to get our name out there. So, (laughs) so that people, people know who we are and what we bring to the table.
0: Well, I, I think it would be great if you could give the audience a little bit of a rundown of kind of who you are, your career up to this point, and we can go from there.
1: Sure. Um, I'll try to be fairly brief with it because it's my career has been fairly extensive. Um, you know, when I graduate, when I, you know, my degrees, I started out with a biochemi, uh, biochemistry and organic chemistry degree and then went into nursing. When I finished up my nursing degree, um, <clears throat> became a critical care nurse or an ICU nurse for Better part of about five years, where I um, sort of moved up the leadership, change from um, from a staff nurse to a charge nurse to an educator in the ICU, as well as a <laughs> manager in the ICU. Shortly thereafter, I went uh, back to school, uh, communicated from um, commuted from actually South Texas all the way to Houston, and about a five-hour drive, five and a half-hour drive each way. Did that for about two years where I uh, ended up uh, finishing up an acute care nurse practitioner degree. Um, did that for a brief period of time with uh, a friend of mine that's a heart surgeon and uh, another friend that's a uh, intensivist and uh, critical care doc. Um, that required a fair amount of call. Um, and so I found myself, uh, need a little bit of a change out of the ICU because it was starting to take its toll. So. Applied to anesthesia school, went, got into anesthesia school at University of Texas, um, finished that program up there, took about three years. And um, then I uh, worked for a very large uh, cancer institute in the Texas Medical Center called MD Anderson Cancer Center. Um, very short period of time working there, I became uh, the anesthesia director the chief nurse anesthetist, which I still am today. Over my career, and my tenure there at MD Anderson, I um, went back and, and finished a doctorate of nursing practice. I finished a master of uh, business administration and currently finishing up my PhD. And, and um, while doing those, I also got into professional organizational leadership and um you know, I went through basically the ranks in in the state of Texas all the way to president of the state back in 2013. Um, and at the same time, you you get um, coupled into the national organization um, quite aggressively when you're at the state level. And so, I sat on a number of committees, not only through the AANA but also other national committees as a representative for the for the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists. Um Shortly thereafter, when I finished up my presidency, I ran for directorship and um, was successful, was a director for two years, and then um, and then went for president-elect of the association, of which I'm now the president of. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, thank, <laughs> thank you
0: so much. That was a great, a great rundown uh, of, of your career to this point, and... It's, it's really interesting to, to hear how you were able to to juggle all of that. And that's something I want to dive into right now. Is, uh, sure. From a time management perspective, how did you manage to to do a lot of those things at the same time and, and not lose your mind?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. There were some moments there that uh, you do sit and ask yourself, why, um, why are you doing this? Uh, I would say that um, as I was um, – moving along that trajectory, whether it be professional, educational, um, leadership development, I always looked for parallels between those pathways that would offer either reinforcement or some kind of redundancy so that, you know, as I'm doing my MBA uh, or even my doctorate, the coursework that I would select would maybe be, for example, in my work environment, or even my leadership with the organizations, um, there would be projects that needed to be done or, or things that needed to be applied. So I'd take those those tasks that you were delegated through your didactic or your education and apply those into the, into the real world, uh, whether that be through leadership development or whether that be in my um, workplace. And um, I think what it did was, is it certainly brought um a lot more meaning to any sort of skill set that I had to develop uh and apply in the workplace or or in leadership. And I, I think that's really what allowed me to sort of balance, if you will, time management was that I was always applying those skill sets at, at any given time, which then it sort of circles back because you get a little bit more hungry to learn a little bit more and and do a little bit better and and um, Certainly, I think the organization has reaped the benefits from, from that also. So, um, but it certainly does have its moments. Uh, you got to be careful to not uh, overextend yourself, which I've done. Um, and uh, it just takes a, a sort of knowledge and, and self-awareness to say, oh, okay, i got, I got to be cautious here because there's too much on the plate. But uh, certainly um, what I think or what I learned uh, from that is that um, the only limitation is, is your own, um, mind or your own fortitude, um, to do those types of things. Uh, it's certainly looking back on it now and you think like, well, wow, um, a lot's happened in those years, but, um, it's doable. It's definitely doable. <clears throat>
0: Now, when you get to that point, like you said, where sometimes you you feel like you reach that point where like, okay, this is a lot, that's a, that's a feeling many healthcare professionals and just many people in general experience. What are some of the ways you get out of that feeling when you feel like maybe I'm going a little too far here, I'm I'm working too much in in
1: some regard? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, that the bottom line comes down to self-awareness, um, you, you really got to monitor yourself to say, um, Hey, I need some help. And that's, that's the first thing is, is he ask for help? Um, you know, uh, I couldn't have done most of this without the support of my wife, who's really been my rock, uh, through the entire process. She's, uh, pretty much been my gauge, I guess. Um, you know, from the home life, um, she, uh, she's the one that I depend on a lot and bounce things off of. And, and um, uh, you know, when I say I need help uh, in the sense of, you know, does it look like I'm doing too much? Uh, You know, what are some thoughts and what are your recommendations that I should do? And, and uh, you know, she's helped me through those processes a lot. And uh, um, so I think not only recognizing yourself, but also having uh, a circle around you of, of individuals that when you ask for help, they, they step in and they, they help you transition through. Um, certainly I will say also in the workplace, um, and even the professional organization, the network of individuals that, um, you develop, um, and a team that are motivated to step in when you do ask for help. Um, and I can tell you in my work environment, um, the crew that I work with are just, uh, outstanding individuals. And, uh, you know, when I ask for some help or, or some time or space, um, they're very quick to, uh, uh, lend a hand. So, uh, you know, it, it does take a team to kind of help, uh, move through some of the projects when it does get a little overwhelming.
0: Now, your wife is part of the healthcare community as well,
1: correct? That is correct. She's a, uh, an acute care nurse practitioner who um, is essentially the director or the supervisor of advanced practice registered nurses, as well as physician assistants in the ICU setting at the same facility.
0: So you two are two very busy individuals. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we've been... Uh, We've been touted that a few times. Um, she's uh, kind of has followed the same uh, education tra- trajectory trajectory um, that I've taken. And um, I mean, the only thing that she hasn't done is, is gone back for uh, a nurse anesthesia degree, but uh, she's got all the same parallels as I have, which, uh, you know, she's, she's gone through it too. And so she recognizes when things are going to get tough and kind of uh, gives me sort of not only the, my own self awareness, but the proactive awareness of of making sure to be careful and cautious, and and uh, she's very helpful.
0: It it seems to me that it it's a common trend for for spouses to to in this space in the healthcare space. It seems like a lot are, are both a part of healthcare. Like I've met many CRNAs that are married to another CRNA or a surgeon that's married to a CRNA or vice versa. It's, is that just because there's so much, it, it, it takes a very special individual, right? To be, cause healthcare professionals are super busy all the time. Do you think that has anything to do with it? It's that when there's two very busy individuals, it's just more common for two healthcare professionals to, you know,
1: work together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think in part is because we do dedicate so much of our time in the workplace um, and and there's there's a commonality there. I mean, you those of us that get into health care um, are for reasons that, um, you know, I, 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 I hate to sound sort of like uh, uh, dramatic, but uh, there's a little bit of... Uh, altruistic reasons that we want to make a difference in people's lives and um, those passions require a fair amount of dedication to a profession and certainly in the healthcare delivery um, world um, our behaviors tend to be a little type a and meticulous for for good reason and uh, you tend to gravitate to people like that Um, and certainly Yes, I mean you're right. Uh, the majority of of healthcare providers, I believe, um, their spouse or significant other is um, um, is typically somehow interlaced with the health, healthcare delivery field.
0: Yeah, I mean we we just had Doctor Schwartz, uh, an orthopedic surgeon up here in the Boston area, on the podcast and he's married to a nurse anesthetist. Yep. So it's it's just, it's, and it be, that seems so common. So I just, I had to bring it up. And uh, I think that's the first time we've actually discussed it on a podcast to kind of get a, a great answer that you just provided. So thank you for that.
1: Absolutely. Why did
0: you want to become president of the ANA? Well,
1: that's a great question. Sometimes I ask myself <laughs> that currently. Um, you know, it it. I've reaped so many rewards from this profession. Um, I'm incredibly grateful. And, um, you know, I, I think the core rationale of why I wanted to become president was um, definitely to give back, number one, to the profession. Um, that's, you know, first and foremost. Uh, the second is, is to help um, give back everything that I've learned, um, whether that be through leadership Um, through, you know, knowledge development, through all of my didactic or my workplace experiences um, to try to help push the the profession um, continuously forward and and make those those inroads moving into the future. Um, Certainly, whether that be leadership or practice innovation, um, be able to help contribute in in some way to the profession overall. And and, um, certainly in the uh, as the president, um, you get to see a lot of uh, additional things that are going on in, in the healthcare marketplace, whether that be advocacy, whether that be healthcare policy development and, and implementation. Um, I will tell you my most favorite part of the role is going to states and meeting the membership across the country that and 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 spending time with them that is the most bar none um most gratifying piece of the job
0: yeah, so are you talking the the like the state organizations
1: yes yes yeah. the you know they're, they're the state meetings they typically will bring in um, one of the board members to come and give updates, but you know, that opportunity to spend with the, with the CRNAs in, in, in their, in their home state is uh, extremely gratifying.
0: It must also be, I mean, cause there are so many of these events happening throughout the year it must be hard to try to get to as many as you can, right. With everything else that's on your plate.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a uh, part, again, that's that time management piece. Uh, you know, I certainly overextend myself in there, um, in that space, um, almost on a, every weekend um, heading to typically, you know, typically it'll be two and sometimes uh, three States in a weekend and uh, it's tight, but uh, it can be done and it certainly takes its toll. But um, again, you know, I think it's important to be, to be trying to optimize your time to spend with CRNAs because they ask a lot of outstanding questions and, um, you know, some just want some, some clarifications and, and, um, you know, whatever the issue or the topic is at hand that influences their practice. Um, and then they also offer great ideas and suggestions that we bring back to the, to the national office. Um and try to develop more programs and services for our membership.
0: One of the things that I noticed with you and the AANA is it seems like this organization really does place an emphasis on getting the community's opinion on different issues. How important is that and how is it that the AANA continues to do that, especially as you grow?
1: absolutely um you know I, you know I, I think the 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 more inputs and feedback that you can have from as many stakeholders as possible um only makes whatever service or product that you're developing a better service or product and and it also helps um you know provide insight into potential you know barriers that you may want to avert and and the other really big piece is is when you have or solicit stakeholder buy-in then you have engagement which i think when everybody's engaged um it just makes you know whatever service or product you're developing and deploying that much better because people had a piece in the in the growth and the development of the of the decision making that gets implemented absolutely
0: one of the things we wanted to discuss so when you and I first met we met at ANA 2018 the Boston conference mm-hmm. and we were you and I were talking about potential topics when we have you on the podcast and one of them was enhanced recovery after surgery so I definitely want to hit upon that a little bit and I uh, was hoping you could give a a brief definition of uh, what it means to you and then ways that CRNAs are using it to reduce things like opio- uh, opioid use, improve outcomes, and lower the cost.
1: Sure, sure. Um, well, enhanced recovery after surgery uh, is a, a multidisciplinary team um, trajectory to um, optimize patient outcomes. Um, during their entire surgical journey. So that could be anything from the minute a patient interfaces with healthcare, So that'd be like the preoperative clinic or just coming in to see their GP all the way through to the perioperative space, which is, you know, preoperative, intraoperative and postoperative all the way out to discharge to home and then follow up. Um, that's enhanced recovery <clears throat> after surgery. A um, little bit of, I think, a misnomer on on certainly the terminology because uh, it's, it's not just after surgery. As far as anesthesia's role, which we have a fairly big role, um, certainly within the perioperative space, um, and what we bring to the table is a lot of those interventions to not only manage pain through opioid sparing techniques so that's a real focus on reducing opioid use um, through any number of techniques and and alternative agents that we have available to us but we're also able to to in conjunction with opioid sparing um, some of our techniques will help contribute to early recovery postoperatively, um, you know, things like fluid management, um, you know, historically we used to give based on a calculation, probably way too much fluid to patients. And that contributes to a whole host of things such as surgical site infections, uh, you know, um, postoperatively patients have significant, um, uh, swelling that uh, takes days to come down now that we use techniques to really monitor and, and provide fluid therapy. That's what we call euvolemia or, or normal volume status. Um, we find now that the patients don't come out of surgery with that level of inflammation uh, or um, <clears throat> swelling that they have in the past. And so that has certainly contributed to, um, enhancing recovery uh, of patients uh, in the post-operative phase out to um, their discharge home actually reduced the length of stay also in the hospital which is uh, everybody likes that uh, more in particular the, uh, the patients and their family members because they're able to get back home and, and uh, get on with their lives which is which is a great contribution.
0: how, how has, when how have things changed? In, in, in this regard since when you started in anesthesia?
1: Oh yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a full 180. Um, and I'll tell you that even, well, not just across the country, but around the, the globe, um, historically, everybody sort of, uh, you know, we had highly potent opioids available to us. We, we practice on, actually, fluid administration practices have been, been um, regarded by two landmark papers, one that was written in uh, the 1950s and one that was written in the 1800s, and that's what we were basing a lot of our care off of, um, which is kind of uh, astounding, you know. Um, Frank Starling's paper, and then there was another physician at the University of uh, Texas in um, Dallas at Southwestern, um, had two pivotal landmark papers on, on uh, for example, fluid administration. And so we've always administered fluid to patients that we thought um, that they should be benefiting from it. A uh, heavy opioid use to make sure that patients aren't experiencing pain in the post-operative phase. Um, you know, back when I started, it was not uncommon to bring patients to the ICU and leave, you know, the, the breathing tube in place um, and then let the ICU nurses and, and respiratory therapists wean the patients off and, um, and remove the breathing tube and allow them to, to recover in the ICU and then <clears throat> go off to the floor and spend, you know, another week on the floor in the hospital. Uh, Move forward to current times, and I will tell you, um, not just enhanced recovery pathways, but opioid sparing techniques, um, what anesthesia brings to the table, has literally revolutionized um, the perioperative space uh, without question. Um, And actually, it's a lot of fun to do because patients um, recover, literally recover so much quicker. Um, you know, it's, it's a combination of, of using regional anesthesia techniques. So, you know, we'll through an ultrasound and because of the quality of, of ultrasounds and the technology that's available to us, we can now place uh, local anesthetics right by the nerve sheath to basically block off pain transmission from surgical sites Um, a combination of a lot of the agents now that we're using, um, and this is where it's starting to revolutionize sort of this, um, opioid sparing techniques is, is now there's a lot of bench science that is saying, um, or demonstrating rather that opioids actually do more, more harm than good. Um, opioids create a tremendous amount of inflammation, which is what we don't want, um, and it certainly contributes to the pain pathway. So you actually preemptively make potentially pain worse. Uh, in addition to that, opioids blunts your body's natural response, uh, immune response, um, to fight off infections, et cetera. And so we actually compromise the patient with opioids, um, and so the goal now is is to get away as I mean, if somebody's having pain, even with our multimodal techniques and regional anesthetic, that breakthrough pain you still you still manage it with opioids, but you're not managing it with the volume and the dosage of, of opioids that we've used in the past. Um You know, and now what we're finding is some of those multimodal techniques that we use, like the local anesthetics, so like the lidocaines, the bupivacanes, those types of numbing medications actually have additional benefit. And they do things like tremendously reduce um, inflammation, um, which is a good thing. They preserve immune function. Ketamine is another one that was an old, old drug, but... It got a bad name because we were not using it appropriately. We were using it in high doses, so the patients would have bad dreams. And so it got a really bad stigma. Now we use subhypnotic doses, so very, very low doses. And what ketamine is now, the bench science is finding, is that not only does it uh, contribute to reducing inflammation, it actually might even reduce the metastasis of cancer cells. So for cancer surgery, it actually may even benefit much like chemotherapy, um, in its own way to, to benefit the patient. So there's a number of agents and techniques that we're able to, to leverage now that certainly, um, we're able to actually witness that almost immediately postoperatively, um, Patients Now, when we employ those types of techniques, um, we, um, <clears throat> you know, like I said earlier, we would leave the patients intubated or with the breathing tube. in. now we, we remove the tube in the operating room, um, uh, which, you know, we, in many, you know, shorter cases, we've done that uh, for quite some time, but uh, bigger cases. So cases, uh, or surgical cases that we would do, uh, for example, in, in our practice, um, you know, we would, you know, it might be a four or an eight hour procedure. Um, we'd say, all right, just to be safe, we'll bring the patient to the ICU, we'll slowly wake them. Nowadays, we're in the operating room, we shut all the the, um, the anesthetics off that we use, um, they literally wake up almost immediately. Um, we pull the tube out, uh, the breathing tube and they ask, and it's, it's, it's incredible. They ask, you know, um, did you start the surgery yet? And we're like, you've been having surgery for the last eight <laughs> hours. We're finished. <laughs> you know, I mean, being able to witness and participate in that is just unbelievable. Um, and, and it makes huge contributions to the patient's outcomes. And so things like post-operative nausea and vomiting is reduced significantly now. Something called uh, post-operative ileus, which is where the bowel, your your, um, intestines go to sleep uh, for the duration of the procedure. And sometimes they don't start to move uh, like they should after surgery. And part of that was related to the opioids that we provide. And secondarily, they contribute to nausea and vomiting after surgery, too. And so now um, we don't see that level of incidence of postoperative, of, uh, yeah, postoperative ileus, where the the bowels are typically not as sleep as, as, in fact, historically, we wouldn't feed the patient for a day or two. We would just give them fluids. Now we're giving patients, um, you know, clear liquid diets two hours after surgery. Um, So as you can imagine, even the nursing community in the recovery room were like, you know, this is never done. Why would why would you want to feed somebody? Which actually, (laughs) that's what you want to do. You want nutrition in as as early as you can so that that contributes to their rapid recovery. Um, You know, as I spoke earlier about fluid administration, the fact that we reduce the amount of fluid administration. So. Um, The other thing we see is a a drop in surgical site infection with enhanced recovery techniques. Um, We don't see the level of cognitive disorders or confusion um, after surgery like we historically have. And and note that we've got an aging population that's getting ready to accelerate. And so uh, I think it's important that we identify not just with respect to enhanced recovery, but also to preserve people's cognitive function um after um certainly uh, an anesthetic or a surgical uh journey. Um you know there's a whole host of of uh you know respiratory depression or or patients stopping breathing after surgery um when they're in the recovery room we don't see that anymore because of um you know that's by nature and as we see in the media opioids when you give too much opioids people stop breathing um, and so we don't witness that as we typically did uh, when we're using traditional strategies um, in anesthesia. So because we are removing <laughs> the opioid, which is which has really been doing a disservice to the patient. Um, I think overall, um, as well as getting away from inhalation anesthetic gases um, is another thing. Um, uh, technique that um, is emerging in practice because we're finding that it takes a significant amount of time for the patient to breathe those gases off um, which then has its, its its own issues in the post-operative phase and so when they don't have that I mean literally now uh, patients are up walking within two to two to four hours after surgery um, and we've reduced um, length of stay and certainly some of um, our patient populations where the average was anywhere between nine to 11 days, their length of stay in the hospital now is, is about two and a half to three and a half days. Um, So there's a huge, I think social impact that we play now, um, which hasn't been well studied yet, but you know, if a patient's going home a week earlier, that means the family goes to work a week earlier, the patient's, if they're if they do work, uh, potentially can can go to work earlier um, than what we've tradition. So so enhanced recovery has actually got um, indirectly uh, or maybe directly um, an enormous impact on society as a whole. Um, You know, you consider we're doing over 50 million anesthetics a year in the United States. And you think you get every single one of those 50 million people back to a functional status one or two days earlier. That's an enormous social impact that we play um, in the in the perioperative space. Does that Absolutely. answer the question?
0: <laughs> that was great. No, that was uh, that was a great rundown. Uh, and, and, and it's pretty Good. interesting though, like you just said too, how it affects many different parties, not just the, not just the facility, not just the provider, but the, the patient's, uh, in many cases, if they're getting being able to get go home and recover and then get to work faster, I mean, that's just putting more money in their pocket.
1: Yeah, well. absolutely. Ab- absolutely. One of
0: the last things. So this is probably the last thing I want to end on is, okay, there's lots of healthcare positions out there today. What would be your, I guess, pitch to the younger generation that is considering what career path and healthcare to pursue? Why, why should someone become a CRNA?
1: Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, um, CRNAs are not well known by the masses, um, certainly by the lay public. And, and I will tell you that being anywhere from the, the ICU to the emergency room to the operating room in healthcare delivery, I've also worked in extended care homes Um, I've, I've been across the entire healthcare continuum. Um, I would say that, um, anesthesia is probably one of the best career choices, uh, certainly for, um, nurse anesthesia, one of the best career choices I've ever made. Um, I couldn't see myself doing anything different, um, moving forward. And I'm so grateful that I actually made the choice to become a nurse anesthetist, um, You know, there's a whole myriad of reasons. You know, you get uh, you get the academic foundation in in anesthesia school that um, by comparison to anything else that I um, pursued in my career, um, it was probably two to three fold as far as the foundation that you're provided in anesthesia school. And that translates to um, your level of practice. Um, when you're doing and making decisions in, in healthcare delivery with patients, only do you know what to do, but you know the deep rooted foundation of why you're doing something. But in addition to that, um, how to anticipate and offset any potential um, side effects from whatever, whatever um, modality that you're implementing. And so Um, That's gratifying. The fact that um, you're with a human being during their most vulnerable time of their life, which is going under anesthesia and having surgery, and the fact that you're almost solely responsible for bringing them back out of the depths of anesthesia and contributing to their recovery, um, not only after surgery, but also when they're at home um, because your your effects are are long lasting. and so um, I think for those reasons, particularly, um, your your time is dedicated on one individual. I remember, oh my god, nightmares in the ICU running you know um, two and three patients after fresh open hearts and and quite a balance, quite a juggle. Um, you can't help but uh, wonder if you're providing the best possible care because you're looking after two or three uh, individuals whom are also critically ill. Um, in anesthesia, it's one person at a time, um, and you're fully devoted and fully committed to that individual. So um, I think, if anything else, um, with respect to just overall um, occupational um, gratification, that would be uh, one of the big reasons is that you're delivering and rendering care to one person at a time.
0: I think that's great. and I think it's definitely a career path um, that many should consider.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I haven't met a CRNA that says, I hate my job or I'm unhappy. And uh, I've spoken with quite, quite a lot of healthcare professionals over the last couple of years and it's it, everyone says how rewarding of a job it is and how uh, how it just continues to grow which is great yeah yeah and uh, with an organization like the the ANA behind these nurse anesthetists i think that's also key why it, it's a good position to look into
1: absolutely the 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 ANA or american association of nurse anesthetists helps helps sort of um, Provide CRNAs with the sort of the future because they're constantly scanning for the future uh, and the directions the profession is is moving towards, and then they also provide a whole host of resources or develop resources to certainly meet those needs of the nurse anesthetists out in the community and helping them not only stay current, but also pushing the envelope on healthcare delivery and innovating in, in the future space. So they certainly help us day to day in our roles, without question. Absolutely.
0: Well, I want to take this time to, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Slice of Healthcare podcast, and we're going to try to get this... All all set to be released hopefully this week since it is National CRNA Week I think that'd be very fitting uh, to get it out and look forward to hopefully doing this again at some point this year I'd love to I I know I'll I'll probably see you again at the annual um, conference this year as well and might even make the conference I think that's in D C. I think halfway through this year, right, or midway?
1: That's, that's correct. Yep, in April.
0: Yep, mid-year assembly. Yep. So yep. Uh, I haven't I haven't been to that yet, but I, I definitely something I want to attend, and um, I think it's in DC, DC, right?
1: Is where? Yep. What, yep. What, Washington DC. Yep. Always a absolutely good, always a good
0: area for uh, for a conference. So hopefully I see awesome. you there. But we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. And thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Bye.
0: Thank you to everyone who tuned in for another episode of Slice of Healthcare. Please be sure to follow us on our social channels. On pretty much every social channel, it's at Slice of Healthcare. On Twitter, it's at Slice of HC. We don't use that much, but we will answer if anyone tweets at us or sends us a message there. Also, for those of you that are listening on iTunes, please be sure to head over to iTunes, leave us a rating slash review. We'd really appreciate the support and feedback. And if you're interested in being a a guest on the podcast, please reach out at uh, sliceofhealthcare at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or any of our other channels, and we'll get right back to you. Thanks, and everyone have a great day.